Jesus yet still came to this earth while we were still sinners, went to the cross, dying for us, in his last words, practically saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus offered us that kind of blessing, that kind of prayer. And so we are to do that to other people. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, David took us to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John and the story of Jesus' coming into Jerusalem. You can find past broadcasts on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, David continues with his message, The Triumphal Entry. Jesus had sent out two of his disciples before he came from Bethany into Jerusalem, and they were to go to a certain man, we don't know his name, and say to him, the master has need of your colt. And the guy who owns the colt just goes, yeah, okay. He must have been a follower of Jesus at some level or another, so he graciously gives a colt to Jesus. And that colt is now what Jesus is mounted on as he comes into the city. Now, you need to know this too, that whenever a conquering king would come into a city, he could ride on one of two animals. He could ride on a colt, which symbolized that he was just simply offering the city peace. He wasn't going to oppress it tyrannically. He was just offering that city peace. And they would be under his protection. It was a good thing. If the king who conquered the city came in on a white horse, he was saying, I am the king. You are under my authority and you are to do whatever I tell you to do. Now, notice here that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he entered on a donkey, a, a colt. So he was saying to people with this entrance, I'm coming as the Prince of Peace. I'm coming to offer you peace from your hostility and enmity with God. I'm giving you this peace as the forgiveness of your sins. I'm not coming as a conquering king to place you under oppression. I'm coming to give you the greatest gift of all, forgiveness of your sins and my peace over you. Now, one quick thing that's absolutely fascinating here. When did this happen? When did Jesus ride into the city? Well, you're saying Sunday of Holy Week. Well, that's correct. But if you look back into history, it's April 32 AD. April 32 AD. It is exactly the time of the prophecy from Gabriel to Daniel that said in the future, as you're praying for the restoration of Jerusalem, there's going to be a day when an appointed one, a prince, comes in. And he doesn't say riding on a colt in these verses in Daniel 9, but in Zechariah 9, 9, it does say Messiah will enter Jerusalem on a colt. Prophecy written almost 600 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem saying that Messiah would come in mounted on a colt. And folks, the probability factor over 500 years of specifically fulfilling that prophecy is infinitesimally small, unless you believe, as some have suggested, well, Jesus knew that prophecy, so he got the cult to pretend like he was Messiah. But then you've got to make that decision again. Is Jesus lying to us when he claims to be God in human flesh, or is he truly God in human flesh? That's your decision. You've got to make it. But I don't think Jesus planned it all out to go to the cross to die a ridiculous death just to make a point. I think he fulfilled that prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 because he knew who he was and that was a fulfillment of that prophecy. And notice what Zechariah 9.9 says. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, a couple of thoughts here. First of all, that, that fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 
begins with fear not. And let me just take a quick statement and say to all of you out there, as you fear COVID, as you fear the Delta variant, as you fear the other letters of the um, alphabet, Greek alphabet coming up and you have to have more and more of these variants that happen, let me just say to you continually from God's word, fear not. Fear not. Read Psalm 91 over and over again. Psalm 91 that we are not to fear the pestilence that stalks us, nor the terror of the night. We are not to do that, folks. We are to trust that God is overseeing everything. And you have to make the decisions regarding how you'll best protect yourself. But you are not to allow fear to come into your life. Well, What's the major way to fight fear? Well, biblically, you always see fear not for God is with you. Knowing God is with you no matter what, his presence will help oversee you and take care of you. God's presence is the major antidote to fear biblically, but there's another one, folks. Perfect love casts out all fear. We're to have perfect love in our hearts, knowing how much God loves us, cares for us, not only is with us, but will protect us. Now, it's interesting that the text says, fear not daughters of Zion, daughters of Zion, that, that the Jewish people are called daughters of Zion. Now, why, why is that important? Here's what I think. You, you know, Meryl and I went through years of infertility, as most of you know, and then God gave us Bethany after a long wait, and the firstborn was a daughter, and how much we love her. And then God graciously gave us two more, um, a son, David, and another son, Michael, and Man, how much I love my sons. I mean, they're carrying on my name, and I've just loved them so much, and they're honoring Jesus and living for Jesus, as is Bethany. But let me tell you something. As much as I love David and Michael, and I do love them so much, I'm telling you, there's something in my heart toward Bethany. That that deep love I feel toward my daughter that, that I don't feel toward my boys. And it's not that I don't love them. I love them deeply. There's just something of a daddy's relationship with his daughter, this beautiful princess that God gave me, and I've seen her blossom into a woman of God. There's just something in that love relationship that surpasses the sons. And I think that's what God is trying to say here. Fear not, daughters of Zion, that God loves you like a daddy especially loves a daughter. And I know for us men, we go, but I'm not a woman. That doesn't matter. You need to think about how much a daddy loves his daughter. So much the Father in heaven loves all of us like a daddy loves his daughter. And if you can get in touch with that, a daddy's heart for his daughter, how much he loves his daughter, that's how much the Father loves you. And if you know how much the Father loves you, why are you afraid? What's there to be scared of? The Father who loves you will oversee you and take care of you no matter what the situation may be. And in fact... As we are not to fear and know that we are loved by the Father as daughters of Zion, your king is coming in and that Jesus is a king. You just need to know Jesus is Lord over COVID. Jesus is Lord over the Delta variant. Jesus is Lord over any other Greek variant that may come down the line. He is a king and he controls his world. Put your life in his hands and fear will abate. So Jesus comes in in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Now now look at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So 
That, this is fascinating because when all of this was happening, they didn't understand the fulfillment of Daniel 9. They didn't understand Zechariah 9, 9. But after the cross and after the resurrection, as they began to explore these things in light of Old Testament prophecies and other things, things that had been written and done, light bulbs went off. Now, here's the beauty, folks. You and I have the cross and resurrection, so we need to read the Scripture always through the truth of the cross and the resurrection. And when we do so, things make more sense. For example... Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, pray for your persecutors and forgive those who've hurt you. And if any of you have been hurt by people who have wrongly hurt you, wrongly accused you, and you're thinking, I'm supposed to bless them and pray for them? And the answer from Jesus' perspective is yes. And you're going, but I don't want to. Now, make a couple comments here. First of all, we've all noticed this past week what's unfolded in Afghanistan. And we need to pray for our especially sisters over there, women who might be abused by the Taliban and pray for God's protection over them in every possible way. And, and I think Jesus still instructs us to pray even for those who hurt us like that. But that does not mean we don't want justice. It just means we don't take personal vengeance. But we do ask God to be just and God to take care of justice. One of his instruments should be the government for doing so. Others could be a military force. We do ask for justice. We just won't take it personally in our own hands. We get God to do that in our prayers. So if we look at Matthew 5.44, for example, through the cross and the resurrection, we know the reason that we bless those who've hurt us and pray for our persecutors is because that's what God did with us. What does the cross represent? That we were enemy, enemies with God and Jesus yet still came to this earth while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, and went to the cross dying for us. In his last words, practically saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That Jesus offered us that kind of blessing, that kind of prayer. And so we are to do that, what we receive from him to other people. Said another way, as I've said so often, Jesus' forgiveness of our sins is paying off a billion dollar debt. We deserve hell. We deserve to be eternally separated from God who created us. But he's rich in grace and mercy and forgave that billion dollar debt. Now, if he forgave us a billion dollar debt, can we forgive people who have offended us with a 10 or 100 or even a thousand dollar debt? Can we do that? The whole key to it is the cross and resurrection. So if you can begin to read and study the scripture through the lenses of the cross and resurrection, it will start to make a whole lot more sense to you. And that's what the disciples had happened to them as well. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. In other words, they told all their friends about what had happened with Jesus and Lazarus being brought back to life. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So people told people who told people about Jesus and the crowd swelled. Folks, it's still the best way to do evangelism. Not social media, not big television ministries. The best way to do evangelism is still for you to tell Tell somebody else what Jesus has done in your life, how he has raised your dead soul to new life. Tell somebody and then they'll come to faith and tell somebody. And that's the best way still that evangelism operates and people will come to know Jesus. Verse 19. So the Pharisees um, said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Again, these religious leaders uh, consulted among themselves that, the whole world's going after him. Now, that's an exaggeration, not the whole world, but a lot of people were. And so they made the decision to kill Jesus because they were threatened, because they were jealous, because they were ambitious. And Jesus was taking potential money away from them with the following that he was having. 
Verse uh, 20, now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, at the Passover, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So during the Passover, there were a lot of Gentile, probably converts to Judaism, who came to celebrate the Passover. There were some Greeks, uh, non-Jews, Gentiles, who came to Jesus' followers and they recognized Philip. They probably knew him. Now, the last time we heard about Philip was in the feeding of the 5,000. Um, all the 5,000 came, probably 20,000 people, 5,000 men. And Jesus said, what are we going to do? And then the disciples said, what should we do? And Jesus said, you feed them. And the person he picked out from among his disciples to say, you feed them was Philip. Now, this place of the feeding of the 5,000 was near a city called Bethsaida, which is where Philip came from. And it could be Philip was a really powerful person in Bethsaida, knew a lot of people. So when Jesus said, you feed him, Philip, you know, you go to Bethsaida real near here, go to the Walmart, get the food uh, stuff that are necessary in order to feed these 20,000 people. And Philip's scratching his head going, I don't think I can do that. And that's when Jesus acted and did it miraculously. So Philip was probably of a Greek origin himself because his name is Greek. These Greeks could have known Philip from Bethsaida and his known popularity there, maybe his position of influence and power. So they came to Philip and their comment is, sir, we wish to see Jesus. By the way, parenthetically, in one of the first sermons I ever preached, I mounted a pulpit as a young seminarian and right under the place where the Bible was on this pulpit what were the words, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And I've never forgotten that. My major job, folks, in preaching is to point you to Jesus. It is all about him. All I want you to do with my words and the gifts God's given me is for you to see Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord of lords and King of kings. Sir, we would see Jesus. Folks, I pray you'll see Jesus too in my preaching. Philip went and told Andrew... Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. I, this is fascinating. Uh, Philip went to Andrew. Why? Because Andrew had some kind of access to the heart of Jesus. And the other time we see Andrew earlier in John is he's introducing somebody else to Jesus. Andrew's always introducing people to Jesus. I pray Moments of Hope Church hopesters would have a spirit of Andrew in our hearts that we want people to meet Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So first of all, the hour has come for the Son of Man. It's a term that's used 70 to 80 times in the gospel accounts. It is solely, according to Daniel chapter 7, to be used for Messiah. Jesus claims that title for himself, a clear claim to deity. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What's he saying now? In previous chapters, we have seen Jesus escape the mobs that wanted to hurt him, stone him, kill him. And the words that were used was his hour had not yet come. He's now saying my hour has come. This is Sunday and people are crying out Hosanna. Within five days, that same crowd's going to cry out crucify him. How fickle it is to want social media followers who will turn on you in an instant if you say something they don't like. It is not about social media followers. It is all about following Jesus. And Jesus said, my time's now come. 
within five days, I'm going to go to the cross and die at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And that idea of being glorified, that's a reference to the cross. My hour now has come to go to the cross. Then truly, truly, I say to you, listen up. How often Jesus says truly, truly throughout the gospel of John. This is important. This is absolutely true. Open up your ears. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Well, well, first of all, Jesus here is talking about his own cross. And he's saying, I've got to die first before I'll be raised from the dead to give eternal life to millions upon billions of people worldwide until I return again. And this is like the example of if you took a, a kernel of corn from one corn cob and you planted it into the earth, that one kernel goes into the earth and then dies to its own life. But when it dies, its shell is opened and releases life into the soil. And then that grows more and more corn stalks. And literally that one small kernel of corn can literally feed billions of people. But it has to die first. Now, you may ask the question, why is there hunger throughout the world? Folks, it's political. It is all political. People in power want to control other people, especially using food resources, and they don't allow it to get to the people to control them. That's another subject for another time. But Jesus said, if he goes into the earth and dies, he'll release a life into this world that will cause billions of people to have fruitfulness in their lives as well. Now, you need to hear this too, though. The same is true for us. Until we choose to die to self, when we choose to say it's not about me, when we fall into the earth and we're crucified with Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come. Only then, folks, is that new life in Christ released to the world. It cannot be about you. It is not about me. It is not about you. It is all about Jesus. And when you die to self and you release that power into the world, you will see people come to faith in Jesus. You'll see your fruit that Jesus has placed in you reproduced in the life of other people. But you've got to die first. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about this morning's e-devotion. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning, your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jen. It's great to be with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope email, you challenged all of us by saying that great leaders are great readers. I learned this from Pat Williams, who is a very committed Christian. Uh, He's the former general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers National Basketball Association team, an accomplished motivational speaker, and the author of over 100 books. Wow. And he is an avid reader himself. In fact, he said that he reads one book per week, and he's been doing so since his youth. No wonder he's so accomplished. What an amazing feat. Well, did you know, too, as well, Jen, and all of our listeners, that Christ followers are commanded to read regularly as well? Listen to this quote from Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have a good success. Hmm. So a revival in Israel Israel was set off when King Josiah discovered the book of the law hidden in the temple. He was cleaning out the temple, doing some restructuring, and he discovered the book of the law, which some think is either the Torah, Genesis, through the book of Deuteronomy, or it may just be the book of Deuteronomy itself. But nevertheless, it was discovered. Josiah read it. Then he had the people read it repeatedly. Everyone repented of their sin, for they saw there that a lot of their distress was caused by their disobedience to God's moral law. And when they repented, revival broke out and the nation was spared God's judgment. Here's my point. Read God's word daily. His word is our spiritual food, our daily bread, but also try to read a new book, if not weekly, try monthly, and then watch your knowledge and wisdom increase, especially as a leader, because everything rises and falls on leadership. Mm -hmm. And when you have good leaders, you have good outcomes for numerous other people following that leader, and indeed, the leader would say, I know this truth. Great leaders are great readers. As they grow in their knowledge, they can lead more effectively. Well, I agree with this completely, and I can even testify of my own life. When when I miss a day or two of reading Scripture, reading the law— I can find myself flailing about, and I you need that daily bread. We really do. Yeah, I can tell a difference. When I read the scripture every morning, I just say to the Lord, give me one nugget. Mm-hmm. Give me one truth that will help me get through this day. Now, some may object here and say, oh, I don't read secular books. I just read Christian books. And I would say to them, all truth is God's mm-hmm. truth. And I have learned great truths from people who are not believers in Jesus. They have been given a truth by Almighty God that's helped me become either a better father or husband or leader in the church. So I would say read, and if God gives you an insight into a secular book, praise him. If 
the book says something that's not true, don't believe it, cast it aside, but keep reading and trying to seek truth because, again, great leaders are great readers. You will never allow your mind to grow unless you're, A, reading God's Word daily, Mm -hmm. but also reading other truths daily as well, and those both will help you become the most effective leader you can be. This is a great encouragement for all of us today. Thank you so much, David. And everyone, if you'd like to receive these daily written Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there daily from my heart to yours arriving in your inbox at 7 a.m. to help your day begin with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for unity in our country.